I want to tell you a little story. It's a true story. A little guy named Matthew is three years old. Matthew, uh, his, his dad's name was Stuart Cook, and uh, Stuart was driving the car. Matthew was in the car seat, you know, in the back seat, and a little three-year-old Matthew was eating an apple. As he was eating an apple, he noticed it was turning brown. And so he asked his daddy, as any curious three-year-old would, Daddy, why is my apple turning brown? And his daddy, looking in the rearview mirror, said, Well, Matthew, it's because after you ate the skin off the apple, the meat of the apple came in contact with the air, which caused it to oxidize and change in the molecular structure, <laughs> turning it to a different color. There was a little pause, and then Matthew said, Daddy, were you talking to me? <laughs> now, listen, I don't want you to say that when you leave today, okay? I don't want, have you ever been in one of those sermons where it's like, was, was he talking to me? What was that about? I, I want you to leave today saying, well, it was like Pastor Keith was talking right at me, right to me. Now, I can't do that, but God can. So I want you to focus and listen today on the greatest news that I could ever share with you. It's, it's, you see, the message of Easter is too good to miss. God wants you to hear and to understand and respond to the greatest news this world has ever heard. And here's the reason. It's because the message of Easter is life-changing. It really is. It's life-changing. I want to tell you something else. The message of Easter is as true today as it was on the first Easter morning. See, here's what we're going to be asking today. It's a very simple question. How can Easter change my life? How can something that was, happened 2,000 years ago have an impact on my life here today? It's a very good question. That's a rational question. It's a reasonable question. How could something so long ago impact my life today? Well, I want to share with you three lessons from that first Easter and show you how, though it was a long time ago, it is still life-changing even today. And we need to look at Easter basically from three different components, three different angles, if you will. And as we look at the Easter story, from three different angles, when you put them all together, combine them all, then you suddenly recognize this is life-changing. So, let's dig in and start that. Here's the first thing I want to show you today. The resurrection of Jesus validates His message. We're going to work on that, so I want you to sit together. Up in the balcony, thank you for being up here, uh, being here today and down here on the lower floor. I want you to say it with me. I want you to say this point. The resurrection of Jesus validates his message. Now, apparently, you didn't hear me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say it with me. I want you to say it with me, okay? Oh, that's what he was talking about. Okay. So, here, I want you to say it with me. Here we go. The resurrection of Jesus validates his message. So, Pastor Keith, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let's go to the Scripture. Go to the book of Matthew, if you would, please. And while you're turning there, let me, let me tell you something. Did you know that Jesus predicted his death and resurrection three times before it happened? Not just once, not just twice. He predicted his death and resurrection three times before it happened. And he predicted it with great detail. So, let's start in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. This is the first time that Jesus predicted the resurrection. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. 
Here's what it says. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Notice the number of specific details in this prediction. As you look through it, he's giving detail after detail after detail. And not only that, I want you to notice a phrase as the verse begins. It says, it says, from that time on. That phrase is saying a new part, a new phase of Jesus' ministry begins here. That Jesus in his ministry, for the most part, was talking to the crowds. But from this time on, he began to talk to the small group of disciples. For the most part, Jesus had a message for the masses. But from this time on, he began to focus on those who followed him closely. And from this time on, he began to help that small group of disciples to understand a very important point. He told them, I'm going towards the cross. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried. And then one day, three days later, I'm going to rise again. And he told them that. But he didn't just tell them once. He told them again. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, that is to his, that small group of disciples, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples are starting to get it now. They're starting to understand a little bit because it says, and the disciples were filled with grief. They began to understand that he's serious. He's not just said this once in passing, now he's told them again. And they were filled with grief. Now, go over to chapter 20 of Matthew. Chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, we get even more information as Jesus begets, begins to get very specific about what's going to happen to him. As Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. In other words, they don't know it, but he's walking up towards the cross. They don't know it, but he's approaching the city where he will die. They don't understand all of this yet, but notice what happens. As he gets closer to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples, verse 17, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they, these Jews, these Jewish leaders, will condemn him to death. And here's new information. And will turn him over to the Gentiles, that is to the Romans to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Now we have another critical piece of information that he's told the disciples. Before he told them that the chief priests and the religious leaders would be the ones who, who would uh, see that he's killed, but they would assume perhaps that he would be stoned because that's the way that the Jews would, would execute someone. But Jesus said, no, I'll be handed over to the Gentiles, to the Romans. And the Romans' method of execution is crucifixion. And so in this last prediction, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. The, religious, the Jewish religious leaders will decide that I need to die. They'll hand me over to the Gentiles, and the Romans will crucify me. And then he says, as he ends that prediction, and on the third day, I'll rise again. And I want you to notice something very important. In all three predictions, he included the resurrection on the third day. Every prediction. Now, this is not our text. This is preparation 
for our text. So now let's go to our text, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Knowing that Jesus predicted his own death, his burial, and his resurrection three times, with that as a context, I want you to read Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Catch that? He's risen just as he said. See, the angel was very careful to point out that Jesus predicted ahead of time that this would happen. Why did Jesus repeatedly tell his disciples about his death and his burial and his resurrection? I think there's two reasons. Number one, I believe he wanted to prepare them for what was ahead. He loved these men. He was close to these men. That They had followed him. He didn't want to just abandon them. He wanted them to know what was about to happen. He did this because he wanted to prepare them for what was about to happen. But secondly and more important, Jesus wanted to show them that what he says is true and what he promises he will do. He wanted to show them that this was not an accident. He wanted to show them that nobody took his life from him. He wanted to show them who really is in charge. And so he told them ahead of time, not once, not twice, three times, because he wanted later for them to understand what he says is true and what he promises he will do. You see, the resurrection validated his message. The resurrection helped them understand that what Jesus says must be true. Because if anybody can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection, then everything else he says ought to be true too, right? Now, one thing you need to understand, you need to remember that these these disciples did not grow up in Sunday school. They didn't grow up in church hearing these stories. This was new stuff to them, all right? Now, a lot of you, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us have grown up in church. We've we've grown up in Sunday school, and and it's easy for us to, to believe these things. But for those who are living it for the very first time, it was very confusing. In fact, I want to show you that in Scripture too. Keep your finger there in in Matthew. Go over and find the book of Mark, chapter 9, just over to the right. Find the book of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9, verse 31. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But look at this. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. They did not understand, the, the disciples, they didn't understand what he meant. And somebody said, you ask him. No, you ask him. Well, I don't want to ask him, you ask him. They were afraid to ask him. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, and if it... Yet, if it, if it still does not yet make sense to you, if it, things are kind of confusing, if, if you have questions and if you have doubts believing this stuff, I want you to know something. That's normal. That's normal. 
you probably have heard the phrase Doubting Thomas. You know who Doubting Thomas was? He was a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the disciples, who struggled to believe, at least at first, that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. That's why the words of the angel are so important. He has risen just as he said. That's why these words are so important. Because you need to understand today that the resurrection validates the message of Jesus Christ. Andy Stanley recently tweeted this, and he said, If a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever else he says. <laughs> That's a pretty good description. Like, listen, if he, can, if he can tell us three times, and then if he can pull it off, then everything else he says must be true. Right? So the resurrection validates the message of Jesus. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates the power of God. I've just got to take a moment and show you something that I think is funny. It's in Matthew chapter 28. I debated because I'm rushed for time. I debated whether to include this, but I just think it's funny. I don't know if you've ever read your Bible, if you kind of chuckle when you read. When I, when I read this resurrection story, I chuckle when I read something. Let me show you. Matthew 28, let's start at verse 1 again. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Do what? The angel of the Lord rolled back the stone and sat on it. And so I was looking at that this week and I thought, Lord, why was the angel sitting on the stone? on the, the rolling stone that, that rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. And then I started studying a little bit. I, I went back to chapter 27. Let me show you something. Chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, one of... Uh, I'm sorry. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the, that deceiver talking about Jesus, this is his enemies talking, and his enemy said, that deceiver said, after three days I'll rise again. See, they had heard Jesus say this too. They had heard Jesus make that prediction too. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception would be worse than the first. It was like, listen, if you want things to really go bad, you, you just let his disciples come and steal the body, and this, then this thing is really going to get out of hand. Here's what we need to do. We need to do something to make sure that doesn't happen. All right? So, verse 65. Take a guard, and here the word guard does not mean a singular soldier, but a group of soldiers. It says in verse 65, Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So here's what they did. They pushed that big stone and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed. And they finally got that big rolling stone in front of the, the grave. And then they put some wax on it and with a seal and put the ring, the signet ring on it. They sealed it to show that nobody had messed with it. Then they appointed all these guards to come stand in front of it. Their big armor and these big Roman guards are standing there. And then the angel of the Lord shows up. I, and and it's, not the, it's not the Lord himself, it's just an angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord just kind of shows up and all of a sudden these big Roman guards, they, they drop, drop over like they're dead. And that stone, it just kind of rolls away. And then the angel just sits on it, just kind of smiling. Like, 
Yeah, uh-huh. That was really hard. Oh, that was hard. <laughs> That's just a small, small, small demonstration of the power of God. The ultimate demonstration of the power of God was when he brought Jesus back from the grave, back from the dead. You see, he didn't, the angel didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. The angel rolled away the stone to let the people in so they could see that Jesus was alive. It's right there in the text. If you look at the text with me, back in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I, I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Now come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. What you need to understand is that we have some good news to share with you today. And the good news is this. This ultimate display of power that brought Jesus from the dead, this ultimate display of power that, that, that raised him from the dead. And, and by the way, I should have told you this, but this display of power was unique because you need to understand when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was not like he just kind of woke up. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was not something within Jesus that brought it about. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was not like Jesus was in the tomb and went, oh, I guess it's time to get up. That's not what happened. Jesus was dead. I mean, flatline stone-cold, dead. And dead people don't get up. Dead people don't move. Dead people don't say, okay, it's been three days, it's, I set my alarm, it's time to get up. No, he was dead. Flatline, stone-cold, dead. So I had to get up. The power of God raised him up. The power of God brought him back from the grave. And why is that important? Because the same power that brought Jesus back from the grave is the same power that is available to you every day of your life. It's just right here in the text. It's just so amazing. But I tell you what, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let me show you this in Scripture. Acts chapter 2. Put your finger in Matthew 28. Go over to the right. Acts chapter 2. The very first sermon that was preached after the resurrection, the very first message that was preached after Jesus came back from the grave, look what was emphasized. Peter is preaching at Pentecost, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to, uh, by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. That is, God was in charge all along. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He wasn't just acting like he was dead. He, he wasn't just passed out. You guys put him to death. But, verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. God 
raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Have you ever looked at your life and said, man, I, I, I tell you what, I, I just feel powerless to change this struggle that I'm having. I, I just feel so powerless to, to break this bad habit. I feel so powerless to restore my marriage. I, I just feel so powerless to, to get out of this depression. I, I feel so powerless to stop thinking these thoughts. I, I, just, I just feel powerless. Can I tell you something? What you need is a power that's greater than yourself. You were never meant to live this life on your own. God wants to have a relationship with you. And when you have a relationship with God, you have a relationship with the one who has the power to bring Jesus, the dead, back to life. And he has that same power today, and that same resurrection power can be available to you on a day-by-day basis as you need it. The power of God can be experienced in your life. You say, well, how do you know that? I know that because the Scripture says that. Go to Ephesians. Keep going over to the right. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Paul is praying here, and he says in verse 18... I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He, God, has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and notice verse 19, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. In other words, we can experience this incomparably great power. That power that we can experience that power that is for us who believe, that power is like the working of the mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul is piling one term on top of another term on top of another term to emphasize this extraordinary divine force through which Jesus Christ was raised from the dead is the same power that is at work in us and through us when we believe in Jesus Christ. The same power. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that the New Testament emphasizes you can have a different life than the one you're living right now. You can have a better life than the one you're living right now. I talked to someone just about a week ago, and he said something so insightful. I hadn't thought about it in these terms. He said, you know, most lost people that I know they're not, looking, they're not thinking a lot about the afterlife. He said, you know what they're thinking about? And I said, what's that? He said, they're thinking about how can I live a better life right now? Yeah, they know that heaven's out there. Yeah, they know that hell's out there. But he said, most lost people, they're not so focused on the afterlife. They're, they're focused on how can I live a better life right now? now? Now, both of them are important. But here's what I want to take just a moment to help you understand. The Lord Jesus does offer you a better life right now. Now, he does offer you an eternal life one day in heaven, but he does also offer you a better life right now. Doesn't it make sense that if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, if you can experience the power that he displays, doesn't it make sense that he could give you a better life right now? I want to tell you something. When you know Jesus, it makes you a better husband. 
When you know Jesus, it makes you a better wife. When you know Jesus, it makes you a better uh, spouse or a better child. When you know Jesus, it makes you a better person. It's a better life right now. And in fact, if we had the time, we'd look in Scripture like in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. He's a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. Or we could look at John 10.10 where Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. And he wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about right now. Jesus was saying in John 10.10, you can have a better life. Better than the one that you're living. Eternal life, absolutely. But a better life right now, too. I like what Watchman Nee said. He said, our old history ends at the cross and our new history begins at the resurrection. Oh, that is so good. Somebody need to hear that again. Our old history ends at the cross, and our new history begins at the resurrection. Now, that's good news for some of you. I'll tell you why. I'll give you an example. Just this morning, my phone started buzzing, and it was a friend of mine from this church, and, and, and he was talking to me about his uncle. And he had shared the gospel with his uncle many, many times, and his uncle had rejected it many, many times. He said, you know what my uncle's greatest struggle was and I said what because his uncle has died now I said what was, what was your uncle's greatest struggle he said his greatest struggle was believing that God could forgive him of all of his sins and he capitalized A-L-L he said the reason my uncle had such a problem believing that God could forgive him of all of his sins was because my uncle killed his best friend when they were both out drinking and my uncle was driving and they had an automobile accident and he killed his best friend he said, and after that accident, he, he couldn't believe that God could forgive him of that. And some of you know what that feeling feels like, I bet. Oh, maybe not that you've killed your friend, but there's something in your past, isn't there? And, you, and you're struggling to believe, yeah, this new life sounds good, but I, I got this thing in my past. This new opportunity, this new power, this new life, this new beginning, all of that sounds good, but... If we had time, I could tell you about the stuff in my past. I want to tell you something. The greatest news I can share with you today is this. We all have a volume one, every one of us. Volume one is the story we've been writing. Volume one is the story that we have written from the day we were born. And the decisions and choices we've made, the things that have happened, the way we've responded, we all have a volume one. But God in His grace is saying to you today, I'd like to write a volume two. God in His grace is saying, I'd like to close volume one. And I'd like to write a new story. See, volume one is the story that you've written. Volume two is the story that you allow God to write. Volume two could be the story of your new beginning. Volume two could be the story of your new life. You see, the reason that God can forgive any sin is because He died for every sin. In fact, this new beginning, this change that God offers is so radical and it's so different that God describes it this way. It's almost as if you are born again. That's how different it is. It's not just adding religion. It's not just adding another belief system. It's not just getting baptized. In fact, your life is so different. It's like you're born again. 
you get to start over. So the resurrection demonstrates the power of God. He brought Jesus back from the dead, and he can bring you back from anything you've experienced. And he can bring new life into your life. Number three, the resurrection of Jesus illustrates that there is life after death. I want you to say this out loud with me. This time, let's all do it, okay? The resurrection of Jesus illustrates there is life after death. Look at verse 5. Going back to Matthew 28, look at verse 5 with me. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And they, then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from what? From the dead. He has risen from the dead. This is what Easter is all about, that God can bring the dead to life. You know this, but some of you do, but let me make sure you hear this. The resurrection is the nail upon which all of Christianity hangs. You see, we would have no Savior if there had been no resurrection. If Jesus did not live past the grave, how could we possibly hope that He could help us live past our grave? But because Jesus did indeed live past the grave, He offers us the opportunity to do likewise. In fact, He said it Himself, His own words. In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though He dies. And whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Can I say to you something that is very, very obvious but very, very important? You know that the universal problem that we all have today the universal problem we all have to face is that we are all going to die. Everybody dies. Can I say to you today that death is approaching, isn't it? And you don't know when it's approaching, but regardless of how old you are or how young you are, death is approaching. Death is coming towards you. Now, you might be 85 and you're not sure, but death may, not, may be pretty close. You might be 15 and not realize it, but death may be pretty close for you too. None of us really know. Death is approaching. Now, this, see if this makes sense to anybody. If death is approaching, if we know that none of us make it out of here alive, doesn't it make sense to prepare for what's coming? I mean, it, it just seems almost insane to me to think that I know it's coming, but I don't need to prepare for it. Death is approaching. And ignoring death is not, is not going to make it possible for you to avoid death. So if I ignore it, maybe it'll go away. No, it's not. It's not going away. Death is approaching. And the resurrection story is a story to say to you, but life is available. New life in Jesus. Eternal life in Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. There should be in the pew rack right in front of you a card. We're going to end a different way today. There should be a card that, that looks like this one. If I haven't given it away. Well, you find it in front of you there. It's a colorful card. I don't have mine anymore. Now, if you don't have one right where you are, feel free to reach behind you, beside you, ask somebody to pass one down. I want you to have a card in your possession today, okay? 
Especially if you're a guest, I want you to have a card. But everyone, I'd love for you to take that card. Here's what I want you to do. Listen to Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now listen to this verse. Listen, listen, listen. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You know what Lord means? He's in charge. I don't know of anybody that deserves to be in charge more than the one who was dead and came back to life. If he died on the cross for me in my place for my sins, he deserves to be in charge. When I was 11 years old, I decided to step across that line by faith. I declared, Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. See, I've not always been a believer. I grew up in a Christian home, but I've not always been a believer. There was a day when I was 11 years old when I, when I said, Jesus is in charge, and I stepped across that line by faith. I stepped across that line, and I accepted and claimed him as my Savior and as my Lord. And you can do that today. And the Bible says, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That God brought him back to life, and God can bring new life to you. That's what it means. Have you ever made Jesus Lord of your life? Have you ever really declared? I'm not asking if you've ever been religious. I'm asking, have you ever declared Jesus is Lord? Jesus is in charge. Have you ever asked him to be your savior? Here's what I'd like for you to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray with you. And it's a prayer like I prayed when I was 11 years old. And it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. You don't even have to pray it out loud. And there's nothing magical or mystical about the words. It's really the message from your heart. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then after we pray, I'm going to ask you to mark that card in one of several ways. All right, so I just want you to relax. Don't feel uncomfortable. I want you to bow your heads with me. Everyone with your head bowed, your eyes, your eyes closed. I've been praying for you. Though I may not know you by name, I've been praying for you. Many people have been praying for you. Praying that when you come to this point of the service, that you'd recognize that Jesus needs to be Lord of your life. Recognizing that Jesus can forgive any sin in your life. And recognizing that Jesus is the only one who can give you a new life. It's time to close volume one, the story you've been writing. And let God open up volume two. Let him start writing a new story. So I'm just going to ask that no one be moving around. Please, no one be leaving early. We'll be done in just a moment. But right now, I'm going to ask you, if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, you don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it from your heart and pray it, uh, meaning it to the Lord. You're not praying it to Keith. You're praying this to the Lord. You can pray this prayer as I pray it. You follow along and pray it as well right where you are. Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you displayed your love on the cross when you died for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart and today I declare Jesus is Lord. I step across that line by faith. I repent of my sin. And today and all days, I will live now for you. Come into my life and save me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for writing volume two. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen.